Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that talks about the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's movie takes us further back in time to Altered States. That's so true. Yes. I thought about that. Each movie we've done has been back, 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 back. I know. We were in the 90s. Last yeah, week, last late. episode with Independence Day, and now we're in the dumb 80s. Oh my God, does that mean I have to go to the 70s next time? No, I'm not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not. <laughs> we're actually devolving, which Dev- is a big oh. theme of this week's episode. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. I know. Oh my See God. I just Can I tell in? you? Yeah. Do you, do, you want to know, do you want to know what I said when I finished watching this movie? Yeah. And my very first, um, I, I was sat down, <laughs> sat on the bed watching it and the credits rolled. I literally just sat there and out loud just went, sweet mother of fucking Jesus. <laughs> I thought so, it was yeah, going to be something go. like, Frida, I hate you. <laughs> because I was sort of waiting for you to watch it and send me some angry text message and so when you said on whenever it was I haven't watched it yet I'm watching it tomorrow I was like okay great <laughs> speak to you after <laughs> and then like as soon as I watched it there were you're right there were so many things I wanted to send you and I was just like just wait just wait until we record so I haven't said anything to you about it yet that's the only thing I've told you sweet mother of fucking Jesus that's the sound of me rubbing my hands together <laughs> Before we get into it, yeah, um, yeah, actually, before we get into it, I just want to actually read the five star review. Hello, on that was left for us on Apple Podcasts by Astro Bic. It's called "Looking Forward to More." Sounds good, interesting, and easy to listen to. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I'll start that again. It reads. Sounds good. Interesting. <laughs> Why can't you read the sentence? It reads, sounds good. Do you need me to do this? Do you want to read it for us? Oh, you don't have it. it reads, I don't have it. You have it. Sounds good. <laughs> What's wrong with that? It reads, sounds good. Interesting to listen to. Looking forward to more. Episodes. Episodes. There you go. <laughs> Sounds what good. Interesting and easy to listen to. Looking forward to more episodes. Thank you, Astro Bic. And please, to all our <laughs> listeners out there, go straight to Apple Podcasts, rate us, leave us a review. We want to know what you think of us. We want some feedback yeah. and we'll read all your reviews uh, out you, loud. You can hold hold back some of the feedback on what you think about us personally but you know bring it (laughs) on show it's cool i'm sure it's all l-o-v-e for both of us yeah (laughs) subscribe subscribe please subscribe because um that helps us to be discoverable uh, i think a bit more in this sea of celebrity podcasts that now have occurred since the land of lockdown you notice that lockdown happened and suddenly every fucking person on the planet had a podcast yeah. It's like, what, 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 what? Because suddenly you have all these like famous celebrities at home with no outlet. Do you so know what it is? they're creating one. I have a theory, which is that a lot of celebrities are so used to having so much attention. And yeah. then all of a sudden, they're not in the spotlight anymore. They need the attention. So they're trying to get other ways to have the attention back. 
That's what, that's so what I think. So many of them as well are just celebrities talking to other celebrities. And I'm like, there's only so many celebrities talking to celebrities podcasts I can listen to. Actors on actors. I've got a couple that I'm into. Yeah. And then it's just like, David okay. Tennant, 100%. Anytime. No problem. David Tennant talking to celebrities. Fantastic. Uh, well, but I don't whatever. need any more. Yeah. To a degree, you know, after a while, yeah. it's like, I don't really want to hear what like this actor from Gossip Girl and this actor from Gossip Girl think of each other. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> we want to know what science is like <laughs> in movies. We love science in movies. Always have. Yeah. 80s movies. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the lockdown, now that we've gone into our lockdown yeah. chat. So when I listen to the moon episode. You know, and I'm talking about, oh, everything's lifting. Everything's great. We're back in lockdown. Six weeks. So I'm yeah, sort of see, giving that's what up. that's you get. Yeah, that's what I get. I know we're back <laughs> in lockdown. <laughs> it is what I get. So so it's sort of like, you know what? It's going to be different two weeks from now as well. Uh, four weeks, excuse me. But it's me. weird because we're on the reverse then. You know, you like Victoria's back in lockdown. Victoria, Australia, we're talking about. Ooh, that was a dog. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Victoria's back in lockdown. But in the UK, as of this week, we're pretty much open again. You know, all the shops, the pubs, yep. the restaurants, cafes, beauticians. It's all kind of starting to open up again. And I'm just like sitting here just going, well, I'm not leaving my apartment. And I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks when you put us back in lockdown. Exactly. <laughs> so that's just, I mean, except the fact that by the time this comes out, It'll be in four weeks from now. It'll be a totally different situation. And we accept that. But you know what? Yeah. It's okay. We're here to talk about movies. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of movies, I'm just not even going to ask you how you are this week. <laughs> how are you? Speaking of movies, how am I? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been, getting back in lockdown has been super rough. Um, mm. And I've also hurt my hip. <laughs> I've heard oh, oh hello. All, yeah, from all the yoga at home that I've been doing. <gasps> no. And then I injured myself, and so now I can't really move. So it's it's hard sort of staying indoors, not being able to exercise because I'm eating a lot, um, mm. and I'm not really seeing a lot of sunlight because it's raining outside, and it's kind of a little bit rough. <laughs> Poor me. Uh. But on the other hand, um, nope. No bright side. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bake a chocolate cake today. That's my bright side. I, I've uh, kind of accepted it now. I'm like, okay, my clothes don't fit me. I've got some stretchy pants and that's fine. And I'll just keep wearing my stretchy pants and yeah, I'll just make myself a big ass chocolate cake. Yeah, I made bim bim bap tonight. That's what I did. I made some Korean oh. food. And then I, I figured out how to do Mexican food as well. So I'm really on a sort of a bit of a cooking rampage. I, f- I figured out how to make black beans, which I always wanted to know how to do black beans so that you can have it with like Mexican food and I figured it out and I made then I made Korean food and I figured that out um, and it was delicious can you please send me the black bean recipe because oh my god Mexican food. yes can I just say I spent six weeks in Mexico um when I like when I was doing my undergrad yeah and um Oaxacan Mexican food is some of the best food I've ever had I'm obsessed with it and I want it and I want a cookbook about it and I want to find stuff that will tell me how to make it and I can't find it and I want it I love Mexican food. I feel End like there's story. a lot of basic flavors that you use in Mexican food. Lime, coriander, chili. Um, they basically invented ginger. chocolate chili. Is there ginger? Did I make that up? There's no ginger. Never mind. Okay, scrap that. All right. I know. Yeah. All right. Now we're fuffing. Fuffing? 
New no. word. Word of the day. Buffin. Bring us so into the movie. So let's buff on into some movies. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you had the movie choice this week. You picked the 1980s cult classic, Altered States. I, as seems to be a theme with us, had not seen this movie before and have now had my very first watch of it. So why don't you first tell us all about this movie? Um, give us the summary that I probably should have read before I watched this movie. 1980s, not 1980s, 1980. Oh, ooh, 1980 oh. film, Altered State. Burgeoning era. Yeah, directed by Ken Russell, and uh, the screenplay was by Paddy Chayefsky, who he was a very uh, well acclaimed uh, screenwriter, and then he took a break to write the novel Altered States before then adapting it to a screenplay. Altered States. So, William Hurt. In Get Your Head Around This, this is William Hurt's first movie. He went on to become a huge star. This was his first movie. This wasn't a weird movie he did in the middle of his career. This was his first. This was his debut. William Hurt plays Edward Jessup, a psychopathologist who is researching schizophrenia, in particular religious delusions that are sometimes experienced by people who suffer from this. At an academic mixer, he appears in a doorway, a saintly vision to anthropology PhD candidate Emily, and he tells her that he's researching altered states, states that are other than the normal waking state, and wonders if schizophrenic patients are simply experiencing an altered state. He's (laughs) He's clearly crazy, we are yelling at the screen. Stay away from him, but Emily insists on marrying him anyway. Cut to a few years later, and we see her peering out of the window from up from the upper levels of an apartment building, a damsel in distress. Now, the motivation <laughs> behind his, <laughs> the motivation behind his work harkens back to the loss of his religious faith that occurred around the agonizing death of his father, the loss of the father. You see, he claims to have experienced religious visions as a child, and a lot of the work he does to induce altered states using sensory deprivation chambers and later psychedelic drugs, are all done in the service of trying to induce religious visions or visions of some final truth through science. He says early in the movie, although it's very hard to catch because they're all screaming over each other, that mankind, but he means himself, has done away with the idea of a god, the father, right? The loss of the father, and must journey to the centre of themselves to find the truth. He says in a drunken exposition, that cells have memory, do they? That maybe we have some shared memory of our primordial origins, and by getting high enough, we can remember them. Much science mumbo-jumbo, but it doesn't matter because of how much they're screaming. What matters is he means it, and they think he's crazy. Jessup leaves his wife and daughter, Drew Barrymore, in also her film debut, in service of this truth. Jessup travels to find some magic mushrooms, it seems like it's an ayahuasca ceremony, which are supposed to induce the same experience in everybody. He thinks maybe this is the key to our cellular memory. He trips out really, really bad, or really good, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) And then he has the inspired idea to combine the drugs with the tank to really trip out, and then things really start to go off the chain. The movie starts to give way to glorious insanity. We see Jessup transforming into a prehistoric man, running through the Boston Zoo. We see Jessup opening up a door in his house and looking into the depths of hell, and that's just a Tuesday. In the end, he finds out that there is no final truth but the endless expanse of nothingness and the agony of being born into it. 
he realized he's much better off holding on to his woman and she reaches right in and pulls him out because after all, that's what women are here for. The movie ends just as it began with Edward and Emily embracing free love naked in each other's arms. Supporting roles of note are Bob Balaban and Charles Haid as Jessup's colleagues offering something normal to cling on to. I can't help but think that there's another message to this film, which is, don't regress back into the psychedelic 60s. The 80s are here. Grab a wife, settle down. And most of all, don't do drugs. <laughs> and that's my summary. <laughs> the 80s are here. Grab a wife and settle down. That's my summary. Well done. Well done. That is very, very good summary. And you picked up on so much stuff that I completely missed. <laughs> this is a movie which improves oh, with distance. God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so crazy to me. Oh it's my God. so crazy I didn't crazy know it was me. William Hurt's first role. First I, I did role. actually think it was one of these things because he's quite old in it. So I just assumed it was like, yeah, just something where you went, oh, I'm going to take a little break and do something kooky. You say he's old, but knowing him from the 90s, which I remember him from the 90s, he was old, older man to me. So when I saw him in Altered States, his youthfulness, his like youthful good looks. Yeah. When he appears but in like, the doorway. I, yeah. Oh my God, stop. I did. I, <laughs> it's like, there's so much. I wrote, um, oh, do you know what? Like what you're saying about the, you know, and then he realizes like the bleakness and then um, of nothing the nothingness and that he's better off with his wife like once it got to that kind of point and i said i literally just wrote in all capitals it's a fucking love story <laughs> it's like i hadn't really picked up on it until then and then i was really annoyed at it it's just like what <laughs> it is a love story but i mean the first 10 minutes of the movie are so good because the way that they meet one another, Emily and Edward, their flirty mm. behavior, their science flirty behavior, their little chit chat. Yeah. Uh, like it, that could have been uh, in a movie today. Yeah. Easily. It's, I did find, I, I was like the whole, the whole start of it for me, I, I think I paused it. I paused it maybe about 20 minutes in or so. And I came into the front room and I just looked at James and I just went, I, what is happening? Yes. I, I don't I, I don't want to watch this movie. I really don't want to watch this movie. And then I went back and I started watching it. And like once we got to kind of the ayahuasca stuff and I was like, oh, okay, this is batshit. <laughs> it's batshit. Like, Crazy. But it sets it up really serious at the start. And I'm like kind of going, oh, this is a really kind of intense movie. <laughs> He just starts going off his game with fireworks everywhere and there's a dead lizard. And I'm like, oh, what? oh, and she's like made out of sand. And oh. what is happening? So Ken, Ken Russell, the director of the movie, is in love with like pyrotechnics. And <laughs> fun fact about this movie is that it, so Chayefsky wrote the book and it was, and he was a very well-known uh, screenwriter, right? But it mm. passed around to 26 different directors before finally wow. setting on Ken Russell. Ken Russell wasn't a particularly well-regarded director before that, but he had done a lot of pyrotechnics. And this is like the perfect combination of mm. this crazy Chayefsky screenplay with the only guy who could actually bring his hallucinations to the screen. 
but but they didn't they didn't get along at all and actually Chayefsky left the production in the middle and it was credited under a pseudonym because Do you know what I've yeah, sorry go on yeah because Russell said that Chayefsky's hallucinations were impossible to film and so they argued about that a lot and actually the movie oh. takes itself completely like seriously the char- it takes its characters really seriously wow yeah yeah well because what I thought was interesting about that the Chayefsky and um, Russell thing was that um, when he left one of the things that I read that one of his complaints was that he refused to allow them to change anything in the dialogue. Chayefsky was like, you can't, the actors have to say the dialogue exactly as is. And as a kind of retaliation, apparently Russell had them speak it really fast and speak while eating. (laughs) I don't know how much truth there is in those comments, but I wrote a note down where I said, I don't understand what his research is because he was eating in a sandwich when he was explaining it. I couldn't understand the words he was saying. They scream over each other so much. But it's funny because... But I love it. It's mumbo-jumbo, so it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Who cares? They're talking yeah. such shit that it, honestly, it's irrelevant what they are saying. And and like it, as a viewer, you're watching it and you're going, I understand that it doesn't matter whether I know what they're saying or not. <laughs> yeah. But So character-wise, what did yeah. you think of them? How How did you feel... About the cast themselves. Oh my god, William Hurt is just—he's incredible. He—it's ta- first of all, he mm. treats it so seriously. He's so believable, and his craziness yeah. and his total desperation for finding some sort of like spiritual comfort, as I'm sort of assuming. Um, but he's balanced out really well by his colleagues. So I enjoy yeah. everything out of the mouth of Bob Balaban and the other guy, Charles Haight, everything out of their mouths was like a relief to me because of how batshit William Hurt's character was. Yeah. Um, I wrote down, Mason is great, poor Arthur. <laughs> that was poor. just all I could think. I was like, poor Arthur. Just like, man, he's just like going, dude, you're crazy, but I can't let you alone with this crazy. I got to like take care of you. And Mason is just like, I'm going to try to use science to explain to you why you're fucking nuts. <laughs> just, I just loved it. And he is crazy. Um, the women, though. Can I... Right, you mentioned Drew Barrymore. Can I just say something that's like going to come across as like crazy stupid? But mm. um, I spent the whole movie waiting for Drew Barrymore to turn up. Because I forgot that it was 1980 and how old she would be. I assumed she was going to be one of the grad students. And I thought there was going to be some big thing with a grad student. And then she never turned up. And I was like, oh, because she's a fucking kid. Yeah. What, this grad student? Dr. Jessup? Are you okay? That one? Oh, God, Ooh, yeah, that boy. randomer that turned up in the middle. <laughs> oh, boy, this uh, this Dr. Jessup is philandering. Yeah. Um, this doctor well Jessup. she had left him though and they were getting a divorce yeah. right i know so here he is in bed with a grad student who's yeah, calling classic. him dr love... jessup in bed yeah. that was the thing right i was like i love how like we're assuming she's a grad student but i'm assuming it because she's calling him dr jessup of course she's a grad student <laughs> Dr. Jessup. <laughs> right okay so i feel like uh, <laughs> i feel like that that's gonna that's gonna maybe feature a little bit later on mm. in our discussion i have a feeling yeah, and and just just so to, let's yeah you know no, before before we go on to talk about themes the the thing about this movie which is just so crazy is and I mentioned about that it being at the beginning of the eighties and mm. it's and actually it's weeks before Ronald Reagan started his term weeks 
that's oh. when this movie was released. And in a sense, and we know that America took like a really sharp turn to conservatism after that, right? And so in a sense, like I can't tell if this movie is basically like the dying gasp of like the American free love movement or whether or not it's saying don't do drugs and become conservative. But it's also after after the hippie movement, after Vietnam, after Watergate, this is before America just went, fuck it, yuppies, Wall Street. <laughs> so I find that the historical context of this movie like totally fascinating. This insane, batshit, crazy, psychedelic movie. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, it, but in speaking of like the batshit and crazy psychedelicness of it, what about the imagery of the movie? <laughs> You said it about him, but at the beginning when he comes in and like there's the light behind him and he's like this glowing color of like angelical, you know, a divine apparition to her. But then they repeat that image at the end Mm. where he's in the doorway, but it's really dulled down light behind him and he's completely in shadow. And I was just like, I feel like they're trying to tell me something here, but I'm missing the point. I don't think I don't think they are. I think it's just so. over the topness. I don't. Okay. First of all, when he appears in the doorway, it reminds me of the aliens at the end of the Steven Spielberg um, Close Encounters of the of the Third Kind, when the aliens are also sort of uh, oh, backlit. Yeah. But I think Ken Russell is so over the top. So he's going to walk through mm. a doorway. If he's going to walk through a doorway, it's going to look like that. And then cut to like the first sex scene. We can't just have a sex scene. It has to be this over the top sex scene which doesn't remind you of anything that you would ever associate with a sex scene in a movie like (laughs) i think it's just so over the top yeah perhaps this movie it worked for him to be going over the top because of how much of the movie is taking place in his mind it's all hallucinations and how do you express that visually other than with the director like ken russell so what else would the movie be without that? It would just be a guy being like, I'm telling you what I saw. Yeah, no, that's that's very, that makes a lot of sense because yeah. it is just like, I, it kind of, it threw me. Like I started out with like, oh, this is going to be a really serious movie about like serious science stuff and they're going to talk about science a lot and I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, I thought they were all just going to take LSD and get in a flotation tank. But then <laughs> next thing it was just like, suddenly you had these like, images that suddenly came up for the hallucination and that was just that moment where I was just like oh this is really not what I thought was going to be happening here what the fuck is going on the biggest issue I had with it for me was the sound effects there was this insane like barking sound which kept coming up and it really hurt my ears like it was just painful for me to keep listening to it some of the some of the imagery was incredible the ayahuasca Mm -hmm. trip was I thought totally amazing um yeah like uh, the imagery of him and his wife lying there in the sand and sort of slowly blowing away Um, yeah but i mean you say slowly blowing away i mean it was slow (laughs) (laughs) they were there for ages while she was there naked where i assumed she was the lizard then becomes her and then she was going to become the lizard but then it took a long time for her to become sand and then they were sand for a really long time before they blew away. And I was just sitting there just going, we all know what's going to happen here. So why am I waiting for this? Come on, man. Yeah. And there's like a, probably four massive hallucination sequences. And it's, it is kind of like 
Okay, it's on. It's enough already. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> we we see the point. And the but last that's the thing. Yeah. I guess it's the like the forcing forcing driving home a point kind of thing. Like feeling like you need to. Like we just want you to be absolutely sure. Or we want to be absolutely sure that you know that this is a big ass hallucination moment. <laughs> so actually, what I, what I would like to just just before we move into the themes is um. I just said the movie's got some great fucking lines mm. in it. Right. So like what that thing, I remember having that moment where you say when she's looking out the window of the apartment, the damsel in distress, oh. we've had a time jump. And I was like, is this a time jump? Are they those? Do the kids belong to them? Are they That's somebody right. else's kids? But thankfully there was random lady in the kitchen continuously shouting, I can't believe it's been seven years. Oh my God, it's been seven years. I can't <laughs> believe, can you believe it's been seven years? And I was just like, oh cool, it's been seven years. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. Good good placement of information. I enjoyed it. Do you know but, my um, favourite line I... in the movie? Yeah. Do you know my yeah, favourite line in the movie? Yeah. It's, it's right, at, no, 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 right at the end. When he's sleeping after his crazy trip when he goes in the vortex and she wakes him up and says, do you want to go back to sleep? And I thought, (laughs) if anyone ever woke me up to then immediately say, do you want to go back to sleep? (laughs) Yeah, that was my favorite line. I've I've got a couple of favorite lines. I'm just going to tell you the first one. Yeah. (laughs) When they're talking about having sex. And she's explaining what it's like. She, she says, it's like being harpooned by some raging monk in the act of reaching God. <laughs> oh, that's fucking brilliant. Oh, my God. I oh, There's so oh, much I want to say about that. And but, then, wait, can I give you the next one? Yeah. Next favorite line. When he's ta- when he's talking, so my next favorite favorite line is when he's talking about one of his hallucinations. I obviously regressed into some quasi simian creature. <laughs> oh, you obviously regressed. Oh, okay. Obviously, <laughs> obviously. like I knew that I would. And then I love this is what the the next two are my last two. Then are just Mason because it's just me just saying I just fucking love Mason. There's when he brings these scans to the radiologist and um, the radiologist is like, looks to me like the architecture is a bit abnormal, Mason. Somewhat? This guy's a fucking gorilla. (laughs) Fucking great. And then his last one is like, you come out of that tank looking like an ape. I'm going to go over the road and commit myself. (laughs) Yeah, he was amazing. Um, Fucking loved him. Where? I wish, I wish there was more ambiguity about whether the transformations were real or not. Um, yeah. But there wasn't quite enough ambiguity for me. So it, it, it's just a little too crazy. Because yeah. I did wonder. Yeah. I was like, oh, is it him hallucinating? And then I was like, but then why are they running around saying that there's a creature in the basement? So they've all seen yeah. the creature. So well, anyway. He, he could um, have been walking in a way that made them think. It, but yeah, sure, exactly. I like suppose, the, There yeah. wasn't quite enough ambiguity. Like he did devolve into a prehistoric yeah. man. Okay. God. Okay, you guys. Um, <laughs> totally. That, that makes sense. Totally. Um, okay. So in like lack of ambiguity, as you're saying, the movie mm-hmm. is dealing with a man searching for God through altered states of consciousness. Uh, but the movie's intended themes aside, we all know each movie will harp on some trope eventually. So what was, let's move into our first segment, which is our trope of the week, Frida. 
What was your trope of the week? My trope of the week was male genius with long-suffering <gasps> wife. That was my trope because that's what we were looking at here. And that is a thing that we see consistently repeated in movies. Man genius, dedicated and suffering wife. Like that was pretty much what I picked up from this one. That was my exact one too. Oh my God, Abby. This is the first time we've snapped on trope. Hell yeah. That's like, yeah. yeah it's like from the, A Beautiful Mind and probably a million other examples. Or This whole, yeah, this whole fucking idea of like, oh, I'm so overly focused on my career and, you know, I can't possibly be in a loving and committed relationship if I want to progress in my career because it's too much of a distraction, all this happiness and joy that I have in my home. <laughs> so I'm just going to go off and leave it all behind and fuck some grad students and be a brilliant scientist. But then, of course, he has to have some moment of reality. And this whole thing that he's searching for the whole time is like, oh, no, it's bleak. And it's not like it's not what I hoped it was going to be. This spark that I've been searching for in my science career is not true. And actually, it's here in my wife all along. So now I will return to her. And she's just like, yes, come back. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing which which annoyed me the most was her total willingness to just sit and take it. <laughs> yeah, but this is like a thing with although like genius she did men. Have, yeah, but she did have that that scene, that conversation with Mason, where she talks about like all the different men that she'd basically fucked the year she was in um, Mexico. Yeah, no, she wasn't in Mexico. Africa. He was in Mexico. Where was she? She was in Africa. Africa. So, yeah, I mean, I did enjoy that, that she was just like, it doesn't matter what guy's bed I'm in or what, whatever. It's like, he's just, so in that respect, I was like, okay, I get it. She loves him. And she's still a brilliant woman in the, as a character, you know, her character is still this brilliant individual woman. But at the same time, it was just like, oh, here we go again. He's going to have that moment. She's a whiz kid. I like yeah. the the introduction of her when they're like, I'm always kid, da, da, da. But like beyond that, we don't really get much of her inner life except for her total dedication to this man. Aside from that, yes. we see nothing else about her. And it, I will even go beyond like genius man, just the whole idea of like the asshole genius, someone who's like a total yeah. genius so they can be total asshole no matter what, um, whether it's in a movie or just in real life. Um, yeah. definitely a thing I'm over. Yeah. That like the whole thing as well, where it's like, she proposes to him mm. and like he uses the science as the excuse to get out of the conversation. Totally. You know, they're, they're doing some experiment and he's like, Oh, like basically it's like, I got to go to work. I can't talk to you about this right now. I got to go to work, but I'm not even going to acknowledge the fact that you've just suggested that we get married. So I'm just going to get up and walk out of the room because science Mm. He, um, li- she, she likes the way, she likes the sex. That's basically it. He's just so batshit yeah. crazy, and he also has this whole religious bend to to his sexuality as well. Um, mm. Which that's a funny one, but she should have run away as fast as possible <laughs> from him. Well, like she's attracted to the genius. Yeah. That's the thing. I actually read a book um, last year and I can't remember what it's called, but it was about that same thing. It was about like a genius mathematician in Harvard and this woman who was just like so happy to be his wife of this genius and the, and the esteem that she got being his wife and like the craziness she had to put up with. Um, yeah, a bit of a dis- disappointing trope that I'm happy to see the back of. Yeah. 
I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure we'll come across it again in the future. <laughs> so, considering we had the same trope, we mm-hmm. um can leave that there and we can move into our next segment, which is science as a theme, science and scientists as a theme. So, starting with the environment of the science, you know, mm. the whole land of academia, how did you feel how they represented it and presented it to us? There was a bit at the beginning of the movie which I like when he talks about, you know, what are they doing sucking up to whoever's going to put them on tenure, publishing two papers a year. Um, this sort of di- dissatisfaction that he had with the academic life and him not really feeling as though he was doing anything or fulfilling any particular purpose. And I like that, you know. I They set up a lot of sort of academic lifestyle things um, at the beginning of the movie which definitely gave way to just this insane entertainment, I suppose, um, Mm. at the end. But that whole idea of, like, this is just mind-numbing and kind of random, the idea that I want to be a scientist because I'm passionate about science and that's why I'm here. But what seems to be happening is a pressure to publish every single year and having to like play a lot of politics with the people around me. And that can mm. lead to like a certain dissatisfaction for sure. So I felt like yeah. that was all right. Did you did you sort of um did you relate to that at all? Yeah, I kind of I just I enjoyed how they presented some stuff just like I kind of wrote down a random thought where I said you can really tell the difference between a movie that's relying on dialogue rather than like actual action sequences. Hmm. So I know we have the hallucinations a bit later on, but the whole beginning is really set up by the dialogue. So they really are trying to establish this situation and this environment of this man who is so driven by his research and his desire to learn from science or through these experiences and what that does in terms of your friendships and your colleagues and your relationship. But um, I enjoyed the idea that they weren't using the sensory deprivation tank to, with a specific goal in mind, that it was just like, you know, they had some line where they're saying, oh, we're not trying to write a grant for it. We're just bootlegging. We just, ha- there's one there. So we'll just play around with it and see what happens. Yeah. And I kind of liked that kind of exploration idea of like, use the resources that we have available and see where it goes that it wasn't set up as this big drastic like yeah something you've with got an outcome. to yeah it was just kind of this all originated through so i think it made them have a bit of a freer environment with what they were doing as well because it mm. wasn't really structured around a big scientific responsibility it was structured around this guy who's just got a lot of freedom because he's super smart and they have the resources and they're just able to play around and see That's what happens right. and yeah, we all know what happened. He has a lot of power to do that because he's like this whiz kid, and they're giving him a lot of freedom in order to do this experiment where we just want to see what happens. Because in real life, you and I know in Australia it's definitely the case um, when you're experimenting on a subject, you can't just do it to see what happens. You have to but have a purpose and an outcome. But it was the 80s and the, and the fact that he was getting his grad students as well to like sit in the tank is so crazy to me. But like actually, com- yeah, sorry, actually, I say it was the 80s, but it was actually laid out that it was the 60s and 70s. Yeah, it was hence. made in 1980, but the it all started in the 60s, I think. Hence all the psychedelics. Yeah. Um, well, because it's based on what's his name? John C. Lilly's work with LSD. Oh, they just yeah. didn't bring the dolphins in. 
the dolphin yeah the dolphin research um yeah but this like let's chuck my grad students in there and just see what happens like you can only do that if you're oh, the like, grad being, students were the dolphins were the dolphins <laughs> <laughs> he, he could only do that because he's like a hot shot he's like this superstar yeah. scientist and he's all very dissatisfied with it all, but no, he just wants to see what happens. But I kind of like, I loved watching them just like, oh, we found a thing at the basement. Let's just like see what happens. I felt a little bit jealous yeah. of that. Definitely. I'm like, oh man, that's kind of fun. Just like seeing what happens science. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of freedom. No. But yeah, I suppose as you're saying, like, you know, he is this whiz kid scientist and like mm. we've talked about him as, as a character and, you know, he is a, he's a solid science character i think definitely um yeah were you like with all of them were you how did you feel about that i mean we've got four mm. you know we've got arthur mason and then our two mains um, yeah emily and and edward i didn't i didn't i mean i loved his colleagues as well i felt like it was like this if you lived in a place like um harvard and everybody's moved there for the university like you became friends with other um, other couples and other families where the um, people in the couple are working there and you hang out a lot together and you have these mixes like in all the yeah. books and movies I read about um, people that are in those places like it seems like that's what it's like and that seems really really fun people that yeah I wrote that down I said I really job. liked yeah yeah I, I wrote down that I really liked the relationships that I felt really real because there was like there was no controversial love stories there was no like unnecessary kind of external stuff it was just a bunch of science friends comfortable in each other's company being in each other's homes and just like talking and arguing and yeah Pe people know. that move to a town for an academic job they become friends with other people and that's sort of like how their lives go and actually speaking of which like i also want to talk about like academic coupling as well because yeah. um arthur he's got his wife is not an academic it doesn't seem she's taking care of the kids so so he, if he's able to, has to move to harvard for a job then she comes along and takes care of the family which is like what does happen with a lot of couples um people that have to move to a, another country or another town for a pose which is like totally normal and they bring their family with them and often you know most often it's a man and so you have the wife that's sort of sticking by and and finding the new school for the kids and finding the new home and and working all that stuff out and in the case of Emily and Edwin when it sometimes happens with couples that are both academics if one person needs to go to Harvard for a job the other person needs to find a job in Harvard as well and in their case she was able to find it because she's a whiz kid too but sometimes if the person has enough clout and they're important enough to somewhere like Harvard, then Harvard will find the partner a job as well so they can both move there. But I think with the people that meet as academics, and, and in this couple, like they're so attracted to each other because of the fact that they're both academics as well. And you hear in the conversation that they have when they meet that they kind of really like that each other's uh, the whiz kid and all that. He says something yeah. like, you know, uh, anthropology tends to, attract attractive women <laughs> oh, and yeah. all this kind of thing but what happens when a couple when both of you are academics it's hard to both have um you know big strong careers and you see she has to move to another country for her job because that's what happens in academia sometimes you have to move countries and it's hard to, to both have your careers um at the front if you're both academics yeah. super but hard can we talk for one second though about her actual role because i 
I was like, there, there's laying out a whiz kid and then there's laying out something like, how fucking realistic is this? I know it was the 80s or like the 60s, 70s, whatever. So maybe it was more realistic in the 80s or in that time. I keep saying the 80s. Maybe it was more realistic in the 60s and 70s. But can we just for a second, in reality, talk about this whole fucking timeline situation? Okay, go. When he meets her, she is a 24-year-old PhD student. Then we cut to the scene. It's the scene she ends up proposing in. She walks in the door and she says, it's all settled. I'm going to be doing my postdoc work in Nairobi in July and August. And by September, I'll be teaching at Harvard. And he's already being moved to Harvard. So she's kind of like, well, we're both going to be at Harvard, so we should stay together. So I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, cool. I wonder how much time has passed. She was a PhD student when she met him. So surely she's a couple of years into a postdoc now. They must have been together for ages. And then next thing she says something like, you're the man who's been sleeping in my bed the past two months. And I'm like, excuse me? Are we using months on like some tripped out timescale to represent years or something here? That you've got a 24 year old who is graduating from their PhD. They're doing a two month postdoc and then teaching at Harvard. What? Whatever. Where's my two month postdoc? How many how many postdocs have you done? How many years have you done as postdoc? Three, four, 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 four. But I guess everything, yeah, four. This is my second postdoc. Four, whatever. Yeah, I don't. I mean, her character was pretty much like, she's a whiz kid. She's an academic, and then we see like nothing else from her apart from her getting off the plane in yeah. safari gear. She's wearing like safari outfit at one point, so I guess she's from whatever she's doing. We hear very little about her. And this is definitely yeah. an issue with women in film from a certain period of time is that like we do not get their inner life whatsoever. Yeah. They're there only in service of the man. Heavily she's there oh, in service of him. Oh, she's very much in service of him, yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like, and he's nuts and his behavior is like not really excusable. <laughs> and it was definitely an affront to watch her just be like there. No matter what. Yeah. It's like not romantic at all to me, to be honest. And it's, no. uh, I mean, if you're, if you're a young, a young girl watching those things and you're getting these like really crazy ideas about like what it means to be a partner, it means p- picking them and then just standing by them <laughs> no yeah. matter what. Yeah. She just is like, I've picked you. And he's like, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and then he's like oh well we may as well get married i'll never find anyone as good as you and it's like that's a great reason to want to marry her (laughs) it didn't feel like a lot of it felt like the chemistry was there at the beginning and i felt like it was very excited but beyond that i don't really see like a loads of their romance or understand we're told about their relationship like listening to the conversations they have but beyond that like we don't really get a good sense of their dynamic at all well i mean the thing is, you can kind of forgive that. You can forgive that you don't get a sense of their relationship, really. But at the same time, the entire premise of the story is that at the end, what saves him from his whole experience and brings him back into the reality of the world is apparently his love for her. So for me, I just feel like, well, if you're going to do that, then you need to establish the love. You need to establish his struggle between 
his relationship and his career that it is a bit more of a struggle but he's so driven by this understanding that he's he has to follow through mm. he has to follow through on these experiments and these hallucinations no matter how much he loves her he's got to follow through and then at the very end he does realize oh fuck i'm not gonna i'm risking a lot here for something that is actually nothing so i don't know but like i mean in terms wait. of like scientists like, wait 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 one second one second you're going you know what and he says this that she grounds him this is also a whole lot mm. of bullshit as well it's not that i love you it's not that um you're the one it's that i need you to ground me that's what he says yeah like i'm just this crazy genius that without you i would float away you ground me this is yeah. not romance that is not yeah. romance that is saying yeah. you are here in your needs and me. desires don't matter your career your future yeah your responsibility is to fix me that's right. Yeah. And and that, that was his expression ultimately was that I'm going to drift off and find there's only more truth to learn and it's it's the universe is infinite and truth is therefore infinite and I'm going to drift off and I need you because you ground me and this is supposed to translate to romance somehow. I think this is a very dangerous idea which basically says that in this couple I'm more important than you. But I would argue... I would argue he does the same in his friendships. I'm that he treats and, them in the same way. Yeah. That like they are there to ground and support him as well. Yeah. That he is just has this carte blanche freedom to mm. be the crazy scientist, to be the crazy genius, to just go off out and do all of these things and he'll be okay because Arthur's going to watch over him while it's happening. She's going to ground him and Mason's going to check his sanity. You know? That's right. That's right. And it doesn't work that way, honey. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. You want to be a, a scientist, you have to, or you know what, anybody, you have to learn how to work in a team. You have to learn how to be a real leader or a real team member. You can't just get away with being like, I'm the brilliant asshole. Everybody bow down yeah. to me. It doesn't work that oh. way in the real world. But can, yeah, and do you know what I loved? Can I, this actually leads right into one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. The moment when he gets the x-rays and he's laughing hysterically because he's like, and we'll get to it in a bit, but, you know, he's regressed. Um, and he's like, oh, my God. You know, and he's like, he couldn't speak for ages and he had to write it down. He's like, x-rays and get these yeah. tests done. And my favorite scene is that moment when they're in the corridor and Mason grabs the x-rays from Arthur and he just starts this tirade at the beginning and it's just like i'm gonna show these to someone who can read them right because you're reading them wrong and it just continues <laughs> on through all of this stuff where he gets more and more agitated and more and more angry as he goes on where he's just like and he starts giving his cv and he's like i'm a professor of endocrinology at the harvard medical school i'm an attending physician at the peter brigham hospital i'm a contributing editor to the american journal of endocrinology <laughs> and i'm fellow and vice president of the Eastern Association of Endocrinologists and president of the Journal Club. And then he just starts walking <laughs> up the stairs and he's still shouting. And he's like, I'm not going to listen to any more of your cabalistic quantum freaking dumb mumbo jumbo. I'm going to show these to a radiologist. <laughs> it's just the best scene because like, it's just him just like going, you're fucking crazy. I'm going to tell you why you're crazy. I'm going to tell you why I'm educated and experienced enough to tell you that you're fucking crazy. But also, 
just to really drive the point home. I'm going to go to a radiologist to make sure they can also tell you that you're fucking crazy. And I don't know why, but I just, I had to write down that speech because that scene, I just loved every moment of it. And it just made me go, fucking love Mason. He's great. And I'm the president. And I'm the president of the journal club. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> just like, that's such a great one. He was just like, he's just in that moment of just going, how can I prove to you that I know what I'm talking about? Here's everything. Here's everything that I have done. Just listen to me, please. And I'll give you everything, even down to the fact that I'm the president of the Journal Club. And if you still don't believe me, I will bring these to somebody else who is more educated to assess these. And then uh, we will go over this. Like, but, yeah. oh. I, I love the it. whole thing of, like, I don't have an explanation, but it's not fucking that thing. And yeah. <laughs> I should know. And that's enough. I actually often feel the same way about things when people are giving, like, you know, sort of a pseudoscientific thing. And I'm like... I don't know the thing, but it isn't that, and I will yeah. know. And like, I, <laughs> I, I love that. I, I did, it. yeah. And it made it just made me feel kind of like that was a good representation for me. I thought, like, you know, I was like, yeah. that he really does feel to me like he's a scientist right there in that moment. Totally, he's just kind of like, yeah, I can't explain what we're looking at, but I can tell you why I'm qualified enough to tell you that what you think it is is fucking crazy. Yeah, one zero zero percent. Even just like that point where he just walks away, walks up the stairs, still shouting about it, still like, you know, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. So he goes off, heads to the radiologist in order to get the reality of what the situation is and what's happening. And this is where we start to come into a little bit of, oh, here comes the science. So (laughs) leading us into our next segment, here comes the science bit. Frida, science o'clock. Science o'clock. What happened? There is, what happened, well, they, they say he's regressing and he looks like a gorilla, but there is a something that Mason says in that whole scene where they're pulling him out of the tank and he's covered in blood and they're over the, trying to um, get him to the radiology and they start talking about that he's having a seizure it's a seizure, mm. and that's why he's bleeding everywhere. He's had a seizure, has bitten his tongue. And then he says, it's a seizure. It's a TIA, a transient ischemic attack. And I was like, those aren't interchangeable terms. Yeah. A transient ischemic attack is a stroke, a little stroke. A seizure is a different thing. They're not interchangeable. <sighs> And I actually oh, just right. double check with a neurologist friend of mine. He says, no, they're not interchangeable. And I was like, ha <laughs> Got him. <laughs> That's all. That's a teeny gripe. But in terms of the science in this yeah. movie, there's so many things. Like, firstly, the idea of um, cellular memory. Um, what, what the hell? But also <laughs> memory. And then he goes, cellular memory memory is energy right and then this is the idea of the the first law of thermodynamics constantly being brought up in movies all the time because the con is basically the the first law of thermodynamics being totally abused here yet again in a movie and what else is there idea of hallucinations being part of an altered state and then Mm. of course the use of 
psychedelic drugs. There's actually quite a lot of good topics yeah. of science here. I'm going to do away oh, with don't, the, the... Don't forget yeah. about genetic regression and the ability to reconstitute. I was, I was going to say that, like, the events <laughs> of the movie, like, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not even... I don't want to, like, start going into that because it's just nonsense and it's crazy and it's fantastical and it's so... Obviously, you can't. But that line, I'm not that even. line when they take him out of the tank, and it's like he has to, before you know, you've got to take him to the thing before I, re- I literally just wrote down, or I actually sat there and I just shouted at the TV. I just went, fuck off. Don't, I'm not. Yeah, like, it's obviously pseudoscience. It's obviously nonsense. Like, it's so obviously yeah. nonsense that I'm not even want to talk about it. I'll just allow them that craziness. Okay. They start Fair. talking about does he have leukemia? Is there some explanation? Uh, he rec- he turns into an ape man and he runs around. Okay, fine. But the idea of cellular memory, though, right? Mm-hmm. That our cells have memory and we can maybe remember our origins. The first man or the first origins yeah. of man, the primordial existence of, of all life on earth, that our cells have memory. So he stands up there and he talks about cells have memory. Memory is energy. So there's two things in there. Firstly, the idea that cells have memory is like a total pseudo-scientific idea. That's to the side. And we'll talk about in a second. Then the next leap, that memory is energy. Again, pseudoscience, right? So he gets up there and he's... And so the whole movie is actually a mumbo-jumbo pseudoscience total. But cell, I have a bit on cellular memory. Okay, you ready? go ahead. Yeah, oh, I'm ready. Okay, it's the notion Educate that- me. I'm going to educate. Oh, yeah. I'm going to Gwyneth Paltrow you. Cellular memory. Okay. It's the notion that the human body cells contains clues to our personality, our tastes, histories, independent of like genetic code or brain cells. So, exactly. And this actually accounts for the reason why people would, for example, eat various animal organs that would be associated with different things like sexual prowess. Like, for example, the horn of rhinoceros. This is actually responsible. This sort of thinking is responsible for the for the um, total overhunting of the rhinoceros, because people Aww. feel like if they eat the horn of the rhinoceros, then it will give them sexual prowess. This is actually based the, based on the idea of cellular memory. Sorry, what? Yes, some people even today think that eating brains will make them smarter. Okay, uh, and. Yeah. Wow. And there's another thing that this is linked to cellular memory. The idea that non-brain tissues can have memories is believed by someone who received an organ transplant and then like they feel like they've taken on some of the characteristics of the person they got the organ from. Oh yeah. So a lot of people think that, "Oh, I got an organ transplant and suddenly I liked the taste of beer." And the person I got the organ from was an 18-year-old male. Oh my God, cell memory. <laughs> and even like, then I, I actually saw this amazing skeptics website where someone was like writing about cell memory and then he wrote a line in there. He goes, L. Ron Hubbard, you know L. Ron Hubbard? Of course. He speculated He's my overlord. in diet. He's a what? My overlord. Joking. Your overlord. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard speculated in Dianetics that cellular memory might explain how engrams work. <laughs> so. Engrams, this is like uh, the 
this is what the Scientologists use to like get information from your past about like what's blocking oh you. God. You know, um, there's something in there. I can feel something. So this is like the kind of pseudo science that this movie is linked to. So there's this guy Douglas. Douglas Vincent, he wrote a book called Transplant Nation, and he suggests that atypical newfound memories, thoughts, emotions, or preferences after an organ transplant are more suggestive of the immunosuppressant drugs and the stress of surgery on perception than of legitimate memory transference. In other words, he says, it's as imaginary as a bad trip on LSD or other (gasps) psychotropic drugs. Direct Oh my God. Direct quote. So, this movie should be ashamed of itself <laughs> for using pseudoscience that is linked to the likes of L. Ron Hubbard. Don't mistake <laughs> it. It's total, total nonsense. Total pseudoscience, I'm thrilled to say. Pseudoscience. Do you, do you, what's your feeling about pseudoscience? Do you, do you sort of, when people start talking about things like, you know, organ transplant and the, um, you know, the personality or any kind of other thing. Does it make you angry or does it entertain you or how do you feel about it? It, it really depends. I think like there's some, some aspects definitely where like, I think if people are using science for me, it angers me when people use something like pseudoscience to like use it as an agenda you know, when it's like kind of political or it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, well, this thing said, like, I don't know. I don't want to anger people, but um, I don't know. How do you, you know, know, I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Or like the whole, I'm I'm saying this and I'm like, I don't know what your stance is on vaccinations. Um, Well, I am a scientist. (laughs) Yeah. So, but it's just things like where you can create, like there can be one paper written at one point where someone did this thing Mm. and then it just like, it gets actually properly analyzed and, you know, we continue on in our scientific exploration and we learn a little bit later on, oh, well, that experiment wasn't conducted very well or the results have been debunked or whatever. And then next thing people still use that and people still say, oh, well, science Mm. says this is true. So we can push this agenda and you're like, no, it doesn't say it's true. It's actually been proven that it's false, but people don't see that because they don't see how we continue on with science. So pseudoscience in terms of like lols, I'm like, yeah, awesome. This is hilarious. (laughs) But then like when it, when it's going to affect people's lives and, and people's rights and people's ability to do things or make choices, that's when it really bugs me and really upsets me. Um, and I just yeah. get uh, really annoyed about it. But with the vaccine, you're, you're, you're referring to, I'm imagining the vaccines was the Andrew yeah, Wakefield study. And- Andrew Wakefield did this one paper in the Lancet, which was since debunked, that um, MMR uh, causes autism. And yeah. since then, that has been the thing that people have hung their hat on for years yeah. and years and years. Yeah, exactly. And they um, say, and then you'll see people pseudo- talk around and be like, I've read the science. I've done the thing. I've done the research. And it's like, what research have you done? Yeah. There's one scientific debunked paper on this. Yeah. And it's not just about yours because that affects. Yeah. You have the individual decision, the choice to make for your you as an individual and your family and, and whatever you choose. But when your decisions, it's the same with the COVID situation yeah. right now. If you decide to not wear a mask, your decisions are affecting other people that you come into contact with. And that's when it bugs me. I get yeah. angry. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, well, that was my question. Do you get angry? I guess I do then. That was a demonstration. But, yes, like, so I do. In yeah, some contexts, I do get angry. And then in other contexts, I just think it's yeah. fucking hilarious. <laughs> like this movie. It's hard these days. I feel like it's getting worse as well. Like people like not... Um, not trusting science or like wanting to listen to pseudoscience. I feel like some, sometimes it gets, it, it gets worse. Um, mm. And the other, so, and we can lead on to, because I wanted to talk about the whole, so um, memory, um, cells have memory debunked. And then he says, memories are, is energy. And then he talks about that, you know, you can't destroy or create energy. It has to be transferred, right? So then he's referring to our, you know, old friend, the first law of thermodynamics, which says like a, a, a system has a constant energy. It can only be transferred to a different state. You can't create it. You can't destroy it. Fine. That's all good. Yeah. But then when people start using the word energy to talk about, other things which aren't measurable energy and then using the first law of thermodynamics to justify some really wacky pseudoscience. It's super annoying. And it, and it, it comes up in movies all the time. In fact, spectral, use it in spectral, yeah. energy, whatever the speech he has, they use this whole thing of the first law of thermodynamics. And actually, that is what people use to talk about like there being a soul, right? The existence of yeah. ghosts believe in ghosts that's all good like but then when they try to use a scientific idea to explain the existence of ghosts it's like i have a little bit of science i'm gonna put it in there because it's like validating me i'm gonna like use it to explain this nonsense idea memory is not energy memory is memory energy is energy that's mm. it like that's the total nonsense thing as well. I suppose that's the thing. And people people will bring in an argument with that then where it'll be like, well, how do you quantify em energy? Not energy, sorry. How do you quantify memory? Like we can't measure it. So if you can't measure it, you can't, it's that classic case of like, if we can't measure it, we can't say if it's real or not real because we don't have scientific evidence. That's the whole point of science is a lot of what we do is disprove something the whole the whole idea of probabilities and that things have a higher probability of occurring than others and therefore we understand that the higher probability is the reality but mm -hmm. that doesn't completely discount the complete obscure random probability of something <clears throat> that is like on the minuscule yeah. you know like the probability that i could spontaneously combust while sat here it's pro like there is a probability value attached to it, but it is so negligible in comparison to the probability that I will not spontaneously combust. <laughs> so there's no problem. That we know scientifically I'm not going to spontaneously combust. Yeah. But I feel like people take those little things and then they use that. And I'm not completely against them using it. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, when then it becomes this idea that like, well, you can't say. And I was like, okay, I can't say, but I'm pretty sure memory isn't energy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure memory isn't, conser it's not a conserved quantity. It is not a conserved quantity. And I think we need to make the distinction between something being, <clears throat> I think we need to make the distinction between something being intangible and something being immeasurable. Memory yes. is not Very tangible, good way to put it. but there are 
ways you could measure memory, but also there are different expressions of memory. We're just using the same word to explain it. And the same thing mm. with the word energy. There are ways that we use the word energy, but we don't really mean energy. She had a good energy, right? I've got a, <laughs> Someone walks in the room and she has a good energy. Someone says it, I'm not going to be like, fuck off. I understand that's semantics. The problem with that is then, then people go, and often with movies or just pseudoscientists, they say, you use the word energy here, you use the word energy there. The first law of thermodynamics applies to energy. So I'm going to apply it to every use of the word energy. And the same thing, it's a little trick that they do with pseudoscience. And the same thing with, I'm going to say memory. There's memory in uh, wherever memory is stored in the brain. Whatever part of the brain is triggered when we're trying to remember something and neuroscientists can maybe map where those things are happening and those pathways. And then there's other sorts of memory, like for example, if our bodies have fought a certain uh, disease off once, chickenpox, mm -hmm. then those cells, and I really am going out of my depths here, so I'm not going to use any words here, medical terms, remember how to fight the chicken pox and these antibodies are stored. That's memory as well. But those memory expressions are referring to completely different mechanisms. So when you talk about our cells have memory, our T cells have memory of chicken pox and those come in the form of antibodies, chicken pox antibodies. <clears throat> that isn't the same memory as my memory of my grandmother's chicken soup. Yeah. And neither grandmother's of things, those salad. things are energy. Energy is a kinetic energy. Energy is potential energy. Energy is what mm. happens when you, f you fall. The potential energy comes uh, kinetic energy. Like there's energy and neither of those, these, these things are energy, but also memory in cells is not the same as memory of being a, whether I remember being a baby, whether there are things that I remember from being in my mother's womb and all those sorts of things. So yeah. it, it's um, fun. Pseudoscience can be really, really fun. But I think like as a scientist, but, people try to talk to me all the time about things that are pseudoscience. Yeah. All the time. It's super annoying. Well, it's interesting, though, because the way you even just the way you're terming that between the memory and stuff, it kind of. It does. I can see where the movie gets the connection in terms of like looking at the idea of what his research is, is based in schizophrenia and schizophrenia being a mental psychosis where someone can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined. Yeah. Um, and then like the way that the disorder is affecting the brain is what then leads to hallucinations and delusions and then why this would then lead into this idea that oh you know if he's studying that and then sensory deprivation the idea of like okay cool well we can use this to try to learn a little bit more about schizophrenia um, I get that I get the idea of where that's kind of coming from in terms of a, a medical idea, but if we're talking about, I don't really understand where the connection to cell memory mm. then comes from. This idea that like, where I just, I don't know. I feel like it, there was just a jump somewhere. There was, you a know, jump. there was like, here's, I study schizophrenia. We've got a sensory deprivation mm. tank. I'm going to use this to try to 
So I suppose I should kind of say a little bit about what the sensory deprivation thing is. There was an article in Wired, which I'll start out with because they used the best headline out of any article, I think, which is out of LSD, just 15 minutes of sensory deprivation will trigger hallucinations. (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah, classic clickbait headline scientific (laughs) article thing. I was like, what? But when you look at it, what they're actually talking about is a paper of a study that was done in um, at University College London in 2015, where they're talking about how the effects of sensory deprivation can induce um, psychotic-like experiences. And what they were doing, but they, I mean, they only looked at like, what, I think 19 patients or something, or people, uh, not patients, people, um, where basically what they're saying is that if you don't give your brain any external stimulus or like any sensory patterns to indicate something being external experience or an internal thought then so if you use the sensory Mm -hmm. deprivation thing to remove all of that then your brain might superimpose its own sensory patterns and misidentify the source of the thought so not Uh recognize that it's coming from your brain itself and see it as an external hallucination so okay cool that's and if and if that's something that's happening in schizophrenia that like people are subject to hallucinations and delusions then of course it makes sense like if you want to experiment with sensory deprivation tank to see if it can if it's schizophrenia is something that's induced or if it's an actual disorder in the brain i don't know where he would have been going scientifically with that but then then suddenly it became this thing about how he thought he could hallucinate himself into an altered state of consciousness that would allow him to regress into his form before the universe existed yeah i think that with the hallucination where the fuck wait where the fuck did that come from i i know and and the thing that like the movie totally misses that the science on hallucinations is kind of in because people know that when someone hallucinates sounds the auditory pathways are activated Mm. so like it's very real to the person that's hallucinating because the same pathways are being activated we know that it's not an altered state hallucinations same thing with visual hallucinations the same pathways in their brain that are activated when they see something or recognize a face are activated when they're hallucinating a face it's funny that this movie did skip over like what is already known by science about hallucinations it's it's pretty funny and and but what i think it was and why that the jump happened was that the reason why he was investigating schizophrenics is because he was a religious person and he is basically trying to find God or the truth because he's like really obsessed with it and he just sort of went off the rails on that journey. And I think if someone is, he was very religious as a child and then a big event, which was the loss of his father, made him lose his faith he's like deeply obsessed with finding the truth and actually this rings really true from my experience of people that were very very religious and are no longer religious because of some event but spend a lot of their life in search of like the truth and i think that that was kind of his journey is that altered states sure but really what he's searching for is is god what is the truth why are we here so 
is that kind of what you think the whole genetic regression thing was about that if he could regress himself all the way back to the beginning of creation that he could be faced with god like that he if he could see creation then he could see god i think he's done away with the idea that there's some externality to it all is the thing mm. and he says that and he talks about buddhism buddhism but um <sighs> doing away with the idea of a deity and talking about it's all an internal journey. So he's basically switched his search for a God from a sort of external searching to an internal thing. And then he starts to go on the whole thing about, well, cells have memory and memory is energy and it can't, it has to be. So our cells are the same cells as da 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 and the memory has to be stored in there somewhere. So if I just get high enough, if I just <laughs> get high enough, I can regress so much out of my state of consciousness. Because as we know, consciousness is very much preoccupied with what we see, touch, feel, hear, right? So if we do yeah. away with in all of our consciousness and totally feel completely in our bodies, which is what a lot of people's experience of psychedelic drugs are then maybe i can search deep enough inside me to find the deep truths so i think oh, okay. that's sort of the the journey there um but i well that actually yeah. sorry go on. and that does lead us into talking a little bit about psychedelic drugs if you want to have a conversation we talk about psychedelic uh, drugs well yeah because that actually explains what you're saying as well a little bit well not explains but it's the case for what you're saying about having the ambiguity and the hallucination mm. That trying to, like, bringing the hallucination into more of a reality, like this whole idea that he has actually physically regressed and then the reconstitution and all of that. And I was just like, fuck off. <laughs> what is, what are you talking about? I tried to look at genetic regression. I literally tried to look oh, up no. a scientific basis for this. And I, th this is my note I wrote on it. I tried to look at it. Then my brain started to hurt. I'm pretty sure they don't mean that a healthy adult man can hallucinate himself into an actual physical change to his genetic structure and evolution. So, and then I just left it. Yeah, okay. I don't... I, 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 no. So, uh, yeah, but yeah. I think you're right. If there was a bit more ambiguity into the idea of... I know. The hallucinations and, and that it was all more kind of his creation. If there weren't so many kind of external people involved in the witnessing aspect of the hallucinations, then it would be a lot more related to, I guess, what the the realistic basis of the research was, which is the basis in, like... John C. Lilly's um, work with LSD and yeah. psychedelic drugs. So yeah, yeah. I, I I can take the whole oh is he a gorilla, and I can take the whole like let's say from his point of view he was a prehistoric man, and other people were just mistaken because of the way he was behaving was so much like an animal and it was also fast. I I could take that as being ambiguous. But I think when the wife is reaching in the whirlpool and pulling him out, yeah. and I think when they turn into this funny crackly radio fire things, rocky oh, fire, oh her fucking lava suit at the her lava that? suit at the end, body suit of lava. Then at that and point, he... I'm like, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> Either that scene was meant to be them just doing so many drugs together, they did so many no, drugs together not. that they were like, I love you, and he's like, I love you. Is that just them being so high, like? That part at the end was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. What, what was that? It was like they had five minutes left of the film and they were in a hallway and they were like, what can we do in this hallway? <laughs> I mean, that was like, so crazy. I, I wrote down that he looked like, I don't know. And I don't know if this is even the right 
reference to write down, but all I could think was he looks like a cross between Jabba the Hutt and a Hellraiser. <laughs> Hellraiser. <laughs> like, I don't know what's oh going God, on here. Oh, that so crazy. But, and then but, can, suit. Do you want to, because the whole, like, the whole obsession with finding a truth, because I, he's like, yeah. I used to be religious and I'm not anymore and I need the truth. Do you know people that are, like, ex-religious that have that same, like, obsession? No. No. How I know about... people that are either religious and that's their choice and it's or sometimes I'll have conversations with people about it and sometimes but I think it's a very personal thing yeah and you just kind of let people have their belief let people have their beliefs in their systems and stuff so long as they're not hurting anyone else um and then I know people that just don't believe in anything and yeah. you, you know, know they might of... search for scientific truths in terms of yeah explorations about the fundamentals of the universe and i think that's what a lot of scientists and probably a lot of physicists do you know looking for the beginning and the origins and all of that but not on yeah. a crazy scale of i'm going to take a bunch of fucking drugs and try to loose myself into a different state of consciousness or being but i think that's a real thing where if you used to be very religious and you're not anymore because you're a person of science da, 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 da. You might not lose that need to find purpose and meaning to life. That religion kind of hands you. And I think when people yeah. are like atheists or agnostic, they, they accept that you don't get like a purpose and a meaning for life. You're here. You make the most of your time on earth. You do the best you can and, you know, whatever it is. And we don't go like, oh, we need meaning necessarily. You make your own meaning, right? But I think yeah. the thing about when you leave religion, you lose that whole like meaning, purpose to existence, all the answers. And then there is a feeling of like, well, it kind of feels a little empty. Let me dive in and see if I can like find that thing. So I think that was very much what was happening with his character. And I think that that yeah. was probably what the book was more uh, stronger on about okay. the journey to the inside of man and the journey to find the like reason why we're all here. Yeah. There are certain topics that can really, really come across so much stronger on paper if you're if you have the time to be able to analyze how it's written like if you have the time yeah. to be able to follow the writing then you can actually yeah. show in a visual representation on screen yeah it's, it's definitely a struggle like some of those ideas like barely came across you had to be looking pretty closely to understand like why did he take that particular drug is because yeah. he saw that there was a shared experience amongst everybody. So he thought maybe there was some truth everyone was experiencing. And on that note, oh, I might yeah. like quickly go into the idea of like the drug that he was taking. Yeah. Because I did a bit of research on this. It looked to me like it was an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, even though Yeah, that's said, what I understood it. As. Yeah, he talked about it being mushrooms, but I think there's a thing where you go and you have a ceremony with people and you get served the drink. Um, I actually yeah. spoke to some people who have done that for their oh, really? impression. Yeah, and and one person actually went and watched Altered States to see whether it was like accurate. Because one thing I noticed was when, when he drank the drink, he immediately started tripping out. And I think when you ingest something, you have to wait for it to get into your blood. It yeah, it takes a long time. I I don't yeah. know much about it, but I watched a um I'm a fan of Chelsea Handler and I watched uh, her show Chelsea lately where she took herself and two of her crew members off to somewhere where they went and they did a bunch of ayahuasca. They were permitted to do it as a ceremony and to record it and it's like it's filmed her and the two others and but the whole thing is you might not trip out and you might trip out and they didn't yeah. trip out. But they just had a re... If you don't trip out, apparently, it's just a really, really, really shit time. It was a very funny episode, though. 
So what my friend says, and actually this person's taken it many, many, many times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he said that, first of all, she said like wild and random hallucinations and like fear and franticness. It's not really quite normal with it at all. So she said it usually hits about half an hour after ingestion. And there are actually common experiences that people have. For example, the symbolic death, the overwhelming feelings of oneness and gratitude, a feeling of going inwards, and then having epiphanies about one's journey and one's path. So there are like very common experiences that people have. But then again, she says it's very unique and it's very variable. And the way that people take it is very variable as well, where you're taking it. And also what kind of person you are, whether you're spiritual or whether you have religion involved in it as well. But the other thing she said is that like, there's no way to predict an outcome, but often you have to like set an intention for what is the thing that you're trying to sort through. What kind of thing are you journey, trying to journey towards or thing that you're trying to um, sort out and that you set an intention and like the way that you do it, that guides the trip. And another thing I've heard from somebody else, which is that this like a lot of purging happens. <laughs> so like that you will purge, you will literally purge, but you also like purge traumatic things or things that are like you're stuck in or things that have happened to you that you haven't really dealt with. It will come up and then it literally comes up and you like vomit it all out. If that oh. makes sense. So that's what happens with ayahuasca that I've heard that a few people talk about like, this trauma came up and then you like purge it out of you. It's a whole thing, but it's not as like terrifying, like and random as this movie makes it out. But this movie might also just be warning us against, uh, hallucinogenics. (laughs) I have a feeling I was very confused whether it was encouraging it or warning us about it. I don't yeah I don't I don't know that it was doing either I liked the inclusion of the kind of ceremony thing I don't know how accurately represented it was yeah um and I I didn't look into it so I can't I can't really comment on it but um I mean I do think this idea like it is you know it is a historical thing it is something that is done in a lot of um tribes and you know it is that shared experience but maybe it is a a situation where in order to experience it on the level that you, that is expected, maybe you do need to be a part of, have that shared tribe experience as well, you know, come from that culture and that background and... Yeah, have the you bond, know, have the bond yeah. to the drink itself. Yeah. Exactly, rather than kind of, you know, I do feel like he was going there not just to get high, you know, he <laughs> had that very specific reason you know like looking for a deeper hallucination so you know it was there was a a stronger basis in it i guess but like searching searching in he was searching for the truth man like aren't we all we're i mean it's just you know we're all searching for something for sure we're all searching for something um but some of us are just a little bit more um stable in our search i guess (laughs) Yeah, we still we still remember to act like a decent human being and treat the people Look, around us with respect and don't take people for granted. Yeah. Exactly. Some of us some of us continue to search for truths and science and some of us devolve into pre-universe existing globs of 
Jabba the Hutt slash Hellraiser looking beings and then reconstitute back into our human form. That's right. So, yeah. Speaking of that end scene, <laughs> I feel like it's time for us to play a bit of music. Yes, it Would is. Would you say? I think so very, very much so. All right, let's play some uh, music. What the What the What the fuck? Okay, so what the fuck moment. This movie, Frida, what was your what the fuck moment? I can only say in earnest what was my first time that I said, what the fuck, when I watched this movie. And then I stopped saying it. So my what the fuck moment is the very first time that I said it. Because that would be truthful. Okay. And the very it's 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 the weird sex scene at the beginning. Yeah. When he, they're outside and he's like, "Are you gonna come? Can I come home with you?" And it's kind of like he's so handsome and she's so cute and I really loved their chemistry. I felt like I was there. Like it just felt really good. Cut to what the fuck? <laughs> he's. <laughs> First of all, they clearly just threw buckets of water on them. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to get explicit, but like, this is a film for adults. Okay, that's, there's nothing wrong with making a film that is 100% for adults and there's no mistake in it. That is totally cool. <laughs> Love it. So they're in the middle of doing it. And he's like, so you just cut to him with a look on his face. And then he like looks through like a stained glass window and has like this crazy religious moment, which causes him to stop. And she's like, what's you doing wrong? And then, by the way, she's totally cool. With the fact that he has this crazy religious moment in the middle of their first sexual encounter. And then they like stop in the middle and she's like 100% cool with it. <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah another part of his amazing genius this is just what it's like you know what i mean i i wrote that line down because she just went what are you thinking about and he's like god god just like, get Sorry, the what? fuck out of there leave leave get off me now oh. oh my god there is such a funny bit in sex in the city when miranda is dating like an ex-catholic and every time they have sex like immediately he goes into the shower yes Yes, I remember that scene so vividly. And she's always so, just sat in the bed just going, what is happening? And she goes, she's like, what are you doing? And he said something about all well, the nuns. And she's like, the nuns. Great. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Run. Oh my God. Oh my it's so God. Funny. It's so funny. I, I just watched that oh. thinking about Miranda being like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first moment that I said that and then after that I don't know if I like I was just I, I was kind of I guess along for the ride ish it was harsh though what what was what was your moment singular what the fuck moment of this movie so yeah I so I, I was very much the same as you yeah that definitely there was there was a there was a first moment then yeah. there was a bunch of moments and then there was just I just stopped kind of writing down what the fuck. But there was one thing that, um, this is so random, but there was one thing that happened that just made me laugh. During the first hallucination, right, when he's in the tank and there's like the sky and the religious 
and there's the Mary Poppins looking scene with him and her. Oh, I know like that was that. in the no, that was in the big hallucination. Sorry, yes. I'm wrong. Okay, no, during one of the first hallucinations in the tank before he took the um, whatever the tincture was, the ayahuasca style stuff. Um, there was a hallucination, and in the hallucination, there was this ram, and this ram had about eight eyes. Now that's yeah. fine because it's a hallucination. Yeah. But I don't know if anyone else noticed the moment where the ram with all the eyes had an end of catwalk model pose moment that was very Zoolander doing blue steel. <laughs> there was just this thing, and there's the ram just side on and then out of nowhere it just <laughs> flips its head and stares at the camera and then it's side on again and then it flips its head and stares at the camera and then i can just imagine it just strutting back up the runway <laughs> it's just like going why is why is the ram giving me a model pose what is happening oh my god so i just went that with ram, the most it was random what the fuck moment <laughs> that i felt in the whole movie how did <sighs> I, I just it. in the production of all of that. Do you know the special effects crew quit in the middle of the movie? What? No. Yes. They Why? Quit in the because middle. it was so. T- because they made them stand under fireworks for like half an hour. I I, I don't scene. know. I think the whole production was a nightmare. But like a lot of those, a lot of those hallucinations, I can't tell. Like, did they storyboard this? Is this like supposed to be telling something, or did they go chuck a ram in it? Chuck a ram. ram with 10 eyes in it. Make it look at the camera. Make it look at the camera. Make it turn away. It's like some part of me thinks that they had no plan at all whatsoever. They weren't trying to communicate anything at all. And and the more oh. that we try to look into it, the more miserable we'll become. Yeah, I know. I started looking a little bit and then I just read there was some stuff just about like how difficult. Um, oh, what's the what was the writer's name again? Chayefsky? Chayefsky. Chayefsky. Uh, some stuff about how difficult he was. But then also about how completely difficult Ken Russell was as well. So I was just like, oh, do you know what? It must have just been like a fucking rough experience for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, Except for Drew, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Drew, Drew did all right, didn't she? <laughs> did she even have a line? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the grad student escaped. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so model Ram's head aside. <laughs> Let's... Let's go into our final, final little bit, our final verdicts. So, first yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. Did it pass the Bechdel test? Hell no. Of course not. Ugh. Women were just cardboard cutouts. Just there. <laughs> One was there yeah. to communicate the information about seven years. And then also to communicate <laughs> the information about the divorce and the fact that he was going to Mexico to get this drug. Yeah. Crazy. And, um... And then she was there to facilitate his need for scientific exploration and then to pull him out of it. But yeah, there were they the two women that were in the movie didn't talk to each other, so they never talked to each other. <laughs> <We didn't. But. laughs> um okay, so science. Here comes the science. Did it pass? No, it didn't. And because it put uses too much pseudoscience, it's all pseudoscience. It's, it's, there's like a little bit of interesting science in there that I think we've managed to pull out, you know, to talk about a few different yeah. bits and pieces, but no, like, uh, uh, do you Scientists were good. Uh, I loved the scientists. Yeah. No, the that's, scientists yeah. and the science environment was good. That worked, but the actual, and I suppose that that's part of like, that's a lot of what we talk about as well. It's like 
not not overly like i mean we've said it before you know the fiction fiction in the science is fine and yeah pseudoscience topic that's you know i mean that's fine they've done better than most movies in terms of like how they're presenting the scientists and their their you know motivations and what they're doing and then how they actually go about it so for me it it did pretty okay with the science Mm. but you know then the actual topic of what they're doing in terms of the um regression (laughs) well well, i think anytime a movie does the whole blah blah is energy energy cannot be destroyed or created <laughs> that's automatic oh that was spectral me. as well as i said yeah it's spectral it's did the same thing it's ridiculous yeah. well they do this whole speech where they make all these jumps and leaps and like somewhere in there is something is energy and energy can't be destroyed yeah. it's like it's so tiresome we should have start a counter how many movies do this so we're on two yeah <laughs> first law so, of thermodynamics feature okay yeah so what's your final verdict i'm gonna give us a three stars okay i'm gonna go 2.5 what's your reasoning my 2.5 is for the the layout for the fact that they used a lot of like the dialogue and the feeling of the relationships and the fact that i love mason so much and how they interacted with each other in that kind of respect um but then the rest of it for me just I think there was a, there was a lot of it that I mean it's also down to like the types of movies that I like but there was a lot of it that was just down to my brain just going what is happening why is he a caveman what is going on also he ate the little sheep thing and Ooh, I actually yeah, wrote yeah, down no wait I did write down in um he threw a rock and knocked out a little thing dragged it away and then ate it I hate this fucker <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess like that's, that's my reasoning. Uh, there was a lot about it that I thought was done quite well and it was an enjoyable experience, but it took a long time for it to go from, it, like it felt like two separate movies. The first half of the movie was it's this like scientists doing this thing. And then the second half of the movie was just batshit fucking crazy pseudoscience yeah. shit. And totally. so that's where I'm going with it. Half of the movie gets yeah. a good rate. Oh, that's well, it. that's why I'm at three stars because some of it I'm like love it, and then some of it's just off the chart. So it sort of ends up somewhere in the middle. But then yeah. uh, it's so bonkers to me that this is his first movie because these days yeah. people have to start pretty conservatively with some like biopic before like being able to choose something like this. But he is yeah. so amazing in it. He like turns up and he sells like every aspect of the movie i mean like yeah. the scenes when he's like drunk and sweaty and yelling about science like he's just yeah. such a star i mean like good like it's so mind-boggling to me that this is the first time people saw william heard on screen like yeah. what the i can't relate to that at all it's just really strange <laughs> yeah uh, and i and there's also like some things in here for me when i watch the movie it always when i watch a movie like this it's kind of difficult to watch i start to go why why do I go to the movies? Like, what am I looking for? Am I looking for entertainment? Am I looking to think? Am I looking to be surprised? Like, when a movie is kind of difficult, it always makes me think about, like, the reasons why I go to the movies in the first place, definitely. And this was one of those movies a little bit for me where I go, like, why am I putting myself through this? It had body horror in it. I felt like like that. Which is I'm sorry, I did. That's why I had to stop it and I had to, like... And I suppose, and as you said, you were waiting for me to message you and just say, I fucking hate you. Because I, I struggled with 
forcing myself to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, I was like, okay, a lot. Of, I get, I get what they're doing here. But, yeah. yeah. And and the other thing about about this sort of like his, the, the historical context of the movie, right? Some of it doesn't date. Some of it dates well, but a lot of it, mm. you have to like transport yourself to the mindset of the people that were watching this movie. And I always wonder whether or not that's really necessary or possible to do, right? To look back yeah. in time at movies and when they don't date so well to say, well, look, imagine what the audiences were experiencing, right? Right now we're in the middle of yeah, the pandemic. It's not such an easy time to be watching such a crazy movie because we're kind of needing a little bit more comfort because the world is so nuts at the moment. That's what I think. So what's the use utility of like transporting yourself and like taking in the historical context of a film? I always wonder, I'm like, should yeah. we just let bygones be bygones and like move on or should we go back and try to understand the minds of the people of the, of the audience at the time i don't really know what the answer is to that yeah but um i think it's still super annoying when parents shove movies on their kids yeah <laughs> regardless you need to watch this do i <laughs> i'm doing and i do that a lot i do that a lot to my son and i've been doing that in the pandemic i've been saying oh you need to watch cool runnings oh no <laughs> You really need to watch Free Willy, and he's like, mm. <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> you've got to watch no, the original Lion King." Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe no, not. No, but it, yeah, because it's true. Because what you want is you want him to experience it the way that you experienced it when you first watched it. But we live in a very different world yeah. now, so his experience of it is never going to equal what yeah. it was for you. Because to him, it's an old movie, not yeah. something new that's just come out. And you're like, "Oh my god." Yeah, we have oh. CGI the way that we have it now. We aren't going to look yeah. at those pyrotechnics and be like, "Wow!" And my audience back then might have yeah. been blown. It might have been like, "Whoa, dude!" But like yeah. now, I look at that and I'm like, "So what's the point of me watching this if it's yeah. not going to have the same impact on me?" What was the point, indeed, Abby? What was the yeah. point? Oh fuck knows. <laughs> so that was my movie pick, and I think you have the pick. I do and what's hilarious like what's actually hilarious is like you were saying about how you felt like you needed um something comforting because it's the pandemic and stuff and that like we need something comforting and I can tell you right now I'm not gonna comfort you (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry dang it (laughs) all right so lay it on me my choice I have gone with um so well I I feel like you'll be happy though so I'm gonna keep us on a British filmmaker's path we're going to have our first experience of Danny Boyle uh, return to a bit of an Alex Garland written script. So I yeah. am going with the movie Sunshine. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know the soundtrack to that movie. I it's literally amazing. knew you would be. I knew the soundtrack would come up for you for that and it has killian killian, killian murphy. murphy it's great cast benedict who... wong is back <laughs> return of benedict wong killian murphy is got the scary beautiful face oh those eyes are insane i love the scary beautiful face that he's mm. got um oh my god i've <laughs> never seen sunshine abby but i've never know. seen it yes. i've never seen it but I know the soundtrack and I know it okay. has Killian Murphy. So okay. I actually can't wait. Oh, I'm so excited. I am very, I am very excited for you to watch Yee-hoo. it then. 
Yay. All right. Okay, well so, then that's our next one in two weeks. Oh, but you can that's that's us in two weeks, but next week you'll be able to catch our mini episodes. Mini episode, yes. We just started last week. We're gonna be continuing our nineties disaster film theme for that one. Yep. So catch yeah. us then. So yeah, so if you need a if you need a little hit of us, short hit of us in between, <laughs> then yeah, check it out. Um so that's our episode <laughs> for today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in contact, you can email us on scienceatthemovies at gmail.com or you can catch us on Instagram at scienceatthemovies. And please, please, please give us a rating and subscribe so that the lovely people can find us mixed in with all the millions of celebrity podcasts. Thank you and good night. Good night. Or good day. I'm roasting some chestnuts now. Ah, what? What?